0: Great to to be back, both after being gone and after the courageous churchmen conference last week, which shut the seminary down and took all of us away to uh, to South Florida. And while that sounds like a great place to go this time of year, it was actually pretty cold <laughs> down there, rainy, but um, but it was uh, it was a that wasn't why we went we We go there every year. It's the conference that uh, the seminary puts on and all of the campuses gather together and and there's board meetings and other things that uh that happen but it's always a great encouragement uh in the word It's, it's an encouragement to know we're not the only ones that are uh, that are doing this uh, and and striving according to the scriptures and and that's a blessing um, but open your Bibles to To uh, Proverbs thirteen this morning. Proverbs thirteen. Remember, we shifted from the Psalms to Proverbs. A little harder, I find. uh, You know, even just reading through it with you. Not hard in my personal devotions, but uh, but just thinking. Okay, the Psalms just kind of has a flow, and there's a point to the whole Psalm. Proverbs is just like all of these broken up little axioms. Um, however, what I find as I read it, one of the reasons to read it over and over and over is, uh, is A, you internalize that, that, that wisdom, and B, there's going to be something here, maybe more than one thing that's going to hit you that maybe the Lord will harvest later in the day, or maybe kind of, kind of guide. Think of the Proverbs kind of like some guardrails on, you know, on your life. These are, these are general principles. These are spiritual Spiritual principles that you can put in practice in your life—they're not promises or commands. Um, they're generally what what it looks like to you know to live a live a godly life um, and uh, put put scripture uh, into practice. And so, um, let's read uh, this morning, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll. We'll get into our, our lesson, which is about discipleship. That's what we're talking about. And we'll frame that up and go a little deeper today. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to a rebuke. I immediately re- read that and say, hmm, did I accept my father's discipline uh, Actually, no, no, please don't spank me. Please don't spank me. When I was a kid, a little bit older though, because I was spanked, then my ears are open uh, to listen. Whenever I'm in my teenage years or, or otherwise, a wise son actually listens to his father's discipline, but a scoffer doesn't even listen to a rebuke. So right out of the gate, you have a son whose ears are open, who's attentive to wisdom. Versus someone who scoffs, that won't even listen when, when they're rebuked. Like, Don't do that. This is, this is going to be bad in your life. From the fruit of a man's mouth he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Boy, your mouth can get you in lots of trouble, can it? The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. It a desire that doesn't do anything about it. Therefore, there is no fruit. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. Man, diligent in heart, diligent in intentions and purposes and actually put it into practice, and there's fruit that comes from that in life. A righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked acts uh, dis- disgustingly and shamefully. Righteous guards the one whose way is blameless, but the wicked subverts the sinner. Righteous people are trying to pull folks back from, from bad. A wicked doesn't. There's one who pretends to be rich and has nothing. There's another who pretends to be poor but has great wealth. We put on pretenses in front of others, but the Lord sees all. The ransom of a man's wife, a life is his wealth, but, but the poor man... Here is no rebuke. he has nothing to lose. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The one who despises the word will be, in, will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. It's protection. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays fo- folly. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored desire realized is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harms. I will suffer harm. My mama used to say it this way you run with dogs, you're going to catch fleas, right? Adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Abundant food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by injustice. He who withholds his rod hates his son but he who loves him uh, disciplines him diligently. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, and I give you thanks just to be able to wake up. To open my eyes, Lord, Lord, I have one purpose today, and that is to live for you. Um, my life ended September twenty fourth, 1995. It was the end of me and the beginning of new life that you gave me, and this new life is now yours. And even as we read on Sunday, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, Lord, the life that I live today, I live by faith in you, the Son of God, you loved me, you gave yourself for me, and so this life's not mine, it's yours, I have no rights, I have no no dreams of my own, no intentions of my own, if I do, I pray you'd put them down, I live for one purpose, and that's, that's yours, Father, I confess, I don't always know in specific what providence holds or how the day will unfold, but I know in general how I'm to live and what I'm to do, I'm to live by faith, which means I'm to, I'm to live by the promises of your word, not some mystical sincerity, but I'm, I'm to live by faith, I'm to put in practice your word, I'm to I'm to read your word, I'm to practice it, I must know what it says, and and if I know what it says, then then I live it out. Um, I, t- I yield to it. I I yield to to your Spirit who, who illuminates your Word. I yield to His influence, which comes through the, through the truth, and then I put that truth in, into practice, which sometimes is contrary to my flesh, many times contrary to the desires of my flesh and, and yet in me, Lord, you have placed new desires. These desires are to please you and and that's the, the not only the motivation but the but the strength to carry that to carry that out. And so that's what I want to do today. So put your word into practice as I launch into the day, knowing what the general tenets of the day hold or grace and granite and then moving into our work and, and then after work, Lord, we, we, we plan to go home or whatever our, our plans are tonight, but, but our life's a vapor, Father. We, we don't know whether we'll even make it to the end of, uh, of the day. What, what a joy that would be that we would open our eyes in eternity and look upon the face of, of our Savior. And, and if that's the case we will come before you at one point, maybe today, then what kind of what kind of life ought we to live? A life that, that, that has no fear of coming before you because we're in Christ and because we, we live for you. And so while we don't know the details, the blessings that are coming today, the difficulties that are coming today, the testings and the temptings you do, you know them all. And we want to live um, in such a way. We don't need to know. You know. We're in the palm of your hand. We, we just need to apply the truth that we do know. So help us do that. Help us to apply the truth to, to our lives. That's what I desire to do today. Um, that Whenever I lay my head on my pillow tonight, if if I'm able to do that, I'll look back on the day and, and um, have no open sin that I... Need to repent of. There's always falling short and failures that we don't know of, but that I would live today and it would be a profitable day, meaning one bringing, bringing glory to, to, to you. You're the one that provides us all of our, our needs. You give us daily bread. We ask for that. Give us physical strength today. Um, where we might have weaknesses, may they not hinder us in doing your work. Where we have weaknesses, may, may we lean upon your strength. May that make us aware of how frail we are and how important it is to look to you and how you sustain us and provide for us in, in, in everything. And Father, I pray today that you would, you would keep me from temptation um, not be not to be overwhelmed by it. it. It's going to come from from my own flesh, from the remnants of the fall in my own heart, from from the world around me. I can't control what what people do or what's placed in front of me—the radio or TV or coworkers or, or, or otherwise. But I can't control that, and obviously I can't control the wicked one. He's he is. He's smarter than I am. He's been around a lot longer. And, and so I appeal to you. Would you please keep me from, from being overwhelmed by, by those temptations not to, not to stumble, not to fall? Help me put up a shield of faith, Lord, that is, is just recognizes those things and then goes in the other direction. May there not be a hint of, of impurity or immorality in my heart. May my eyes not be full of adultery. As Job said, may may I not look upon a, a woman today with, with, with lust that's not my own wife. May I not even give a second thought, even a passing thought, to to any other form or figure other than other than her. May, may you guard me from from using my, my my tongue wrongly. So many different ways, Father, that temptation would would manifest. May I May I be faithful and, and turn away from that, and would you, would you guard me from the evil one? Lord, I can't do anything about him. He's in the world, and yet you control him. Everything is sifted through your sovereign hand, and I'm to take a defensive posture. I'm not to be ignorant of his devices. I'm, I'm not to play into his hands, and um, you protect us from him, so would, would you do that today? And uh, Lord, would you be with with my family, my my wife, my my children, my grandchild? Would you be with the brothers that that I serve with? Would you preserve each one of them today from sin and these things? May you use us for the gospel's sake. Would you, Lord, would you be with my parents and Tracy's parents? Would you? Give them strength today as they come farther along, closer to the end of their life. Would they not waste the day with, with old age? May they turn to you. May you, Lord, may you, may you harvest the gospel in, uh, in Mark and in Cody, the, the two men that I've been able to share with. with, with even this morning, would you, would you remind them of those conversations? Would you remind them of the gospel? Would you bring that back to their hearts and and their minds? Would you cause it to bear fruit and take root? And um, Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for for the sheep that that are here and and how you have brought so many in so many different phases. Strengthen the ones, Lord, that that are that are weak or or feeble or or are timid. Um, continue to fan the flames of those who are hungry and and moving comfort the, the those that are hurting and encourage the ones that uh, that might be might be discouraged today use us father as as a, a fountain of the gospel use us as we we go into in, into life and help us to be faithful faithful shepherds faithful brothers in uh, in all of that that work. We, we pray it all, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're talking about discipleship, and the purpose of this is to drive home some foundational convictions, and these convictions are what help you stand with courage and apply the truth to to your life. We we know a lot more than we apply. We know a lot more than we live, don't we? And um, while it's possible to teach a lot more than you live, it's possible to teach and tell others a lot more than you, you live, it's not possible to disciple more than you live. Because one of the fundamental aspects of discipleship, as we'll, as we'll hear today, is uh, is found on, on page eight, and it's it's an imitation. We're talking about discipleship in debunking some of the, the, the normal ideas that that are that are wrong. Um, we normally think of discipleship as a nine week program, you know, okay, I'm gonna, uh or or I'm going to be discipled and we mean that has a beginning and an end. I'm going to go to this guy that seems more spiritual than I am and he's going to pump me, you know, he's going to give me a crash course in Christianity and he's going to turn me loose to go do that with, you know, in 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 life. We we think of discipleship as something that has a beginning and an end. And the other the other aspect is that is that we kind of truncate the the great commission. We 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 think that that it's uh it's, a, it's just only evangelism. Let's win somebody to Jesus. That's what the Great Commission is, is about. And, and we forget that the Great Commission obviously begins with that. You're winning people to Christ. But, but, but the Great Commission is not fulfilled um, until somebody's brought into the church and then until somebody is matured. That's what it means, teaching them all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. You're baptizing them, which obviously means they're, you've made a disciple given them the claims of christ you've given them the claims of the gospel they 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 have they've heard that and that's worked in their heart the holy spirit has regenerated them granted them faith and repentance and and then what's the evidence of that they're willing to testify publicly i am a follower of jesus christ they they're willing to associate with the message of christ in the waters of baptism and do that publicly and then you begin to grow them you begin to teach them anybody in here uh, that, that has been taught everything that the Lord commands. Uh, you, you got all that mastered yet? I don't, that's why I'm here. So it, it's a, it's a never-ending process, never-ending in the sense of this side of life, you know, which is why we say that our task is to make and mature disciples, to try to intentionally remind us that the Great Commission is, is not fulfilled unless you add maturity to it. It's surely not less than the evangelism years ago. Wow, like 12 years ago, maybe, Dave Doran was here for a missions conference. If you've never read for uh, you know, his, his book on missions, I would highly recommend it to you. President of um, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. He was just actually with us this past week. He gave the analogy when he was here preaching. He said, You know, I'm coming here to Timberlake for a missions conference. And in order to get there, I had to go to the airport in Detroit, and I had to fly to, to, to Lynchburg. But but if I said I, I got on the, the airplane in Detroit and I flew to Lynchburg and then I turned around and then I went back to Detroit and said, Hey, I, I, I preached a missions conference for, for Timberlake, you would say, What are you talking about? You didn't even come to Timberlake. You, you only went to the airport. He said, Think of evangelism or think of the way that we truncate the you know, the aspect of evangelism in the same way. It's like, you know, of course you gotta you know, him to Christ, I mean of course you gotta go to the airport to get there, but but that's just the that's just the opening door. There's a lot more. Well, what's a lot more? It's discipleship. It's the same thing. It's not a program. You're making and maturing followers, You're making and maturing, maturing disciples. These are people who have committed to follow Christ. They're not the people that just show up for the bread or for the healing. They're not the people who just kind of you know, hang around on the fringe. Maybe they're interested. Praise God for them. I mean, that's the part of the... The, the mission field, if you will, that's the that's the, the fishing grounds. They're coming. They're interested. Maybe they're interested for the wrong reasons. Remember my testimony. I don't even remember why I started going to church. Maybe it was to try to get Tracy back. I don't know. The lady intrigued me. I went. But then when I went, I went again and I went again. People were nice to me. You know, they're drawing me in. And then the gospel just slayed me. Where'd that happen? Well, it didn't happen at home on the couch. You know, it happened whenever... Somebody brought me there. So I'm not talking about the people that, that are specifically on the fringe showing up for those reasons. But people who actually commit, people who actually are awakened, people who actually say, Yes, I, I believe this. Weak. I believe, help my unbelief. I, I believe. They, they don't get zapped with sanctification. Um, I mean, say whenever I got up from, from praying, and, which is really a surrender, really just acknowledging the gospel, acknowledging the, Lord's, the Lord had opened my eyes and bowing the knee to him, surrendering to him. I mean, I didn't get up at that moment and all the garbage that I'd looked at throughout my life you know, just, just washed out of my brain uh, or, I, or the, the images that were there or the curse words that I said on a regular basis. Or the can and a half of Copenhagen snuff that I that I dipped every day. I mean, that didn't just automatically go away. And that's through the process of of sanctification, the power of Christ, and how that happened. Well, it happened progressively as I, I got in the Word and I got around to other brothers that, you know, that, that weren't rubbing a can and a half of Copenhagen snuff and then, and weren't cursing all the time. I had new desires, new want tos, but but getting around those other brothers and growing, and and now those things slowly, you know, start. Changing in my, in my life, but, but I'm committed. Stumbling, bumbling, but I'm committed. I, and I don't mean like my commitment. I mean, I'm, I'm in. I'm a follower. I'm marked by, by Christ. I'm not my own. And I'm reading and I'm coming and I'm listening, and the Lord's transforming. And he's using all of His graces. He's using, you know, uh, a lot of times we, 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 we don't know what's going on in our life. Why aren't we growing? Why aren't we doing this? And we're not even availing ourselves of, of all the graces that the Lord's given. To, to accomplish sanctification. We're not coming to church or we're not reading our Bibles or we're not praying or we're not being around others or we're keeping folks at a distance. I mean, you have to avail yourself of those graces. I mean, You're, you're standing there and, and the, Lord's, the Lord, Lord's using them and doing all of that, and then the Lord's just chipping away. And, or the potter in the clay, he's, he's molding it. You know, think of those graces like the water that the that the potter is using turning the you know turning the clay wheel and if 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 you've ever done that I don't know that I have I've seen videos of it maybe watch my art teacher do it in, in high school I don't know but I know enough that whenever there's a lump in that clay I mean that that water helps that lump come out I would guess it's it's probably pretty painful to have a, a really hard part of the clay come out if, if there's not water lubricating it and and the graces help whenever the Lord takes a hard part, you know, a hard part of clay out of your life. Sanctification can be painful. John 15 describes it as being pruned, you know, but being pruned to to bear, to bear more fruit. That just happens over over time. So there's there's followers. We're talking about people who are following, pointed in a direction. But then you're walking. You're putting one foot in front of the other. This is discipleship. And there are other people on this on this, 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 this path of following Christ. They're not on the broad road that leads to destruction. They've come through the narrow gate, which is Christ alone. There's only one way of salvation, and, and they've gone through that gate, and now they're, now they're following him. They're, they're a disciple of him, and they're learning everything that, that Christ has commanded, which is a lifelong pursuit, and then fruit starts to be born. You know, the sin starts to be, to be overcome, and fruit begins to be born, and then we, we, we do this together. And the way that the Lord has designed that is we're not lone rangers. We're, we're, we're in the church. We're in a group of followers and that are helping us, provoking us to love and good work. And the Lord has also designed that, that there will be people in your life, men in your life, that, that, that will walk with you. And they're, they're on the path, maybe a step or two in front of you. And that's what we're talking about with, with discipleship. Following Christ yourself and bringing other people along uh, as, you, as you do that. I mean, if you even want to go back, we, you know, in, on page uh, 7 here, we talk about the Great Commission is the mandate of every Christian. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is under the Bible passages there. This is where we develop our doctrine of discipleship that I just gave you. Followers, disciples, not decisions. It starts with a decision. It doesn't end there. You're not preaching the missions conference by making a decision. By coming to the airport, it's, you follow through. But if you want to even go back to what we're talking about on Sunday night, if you remember, you know, Tim talked about how there was the creation mandate and God gave us the garden, and the garden is pre-cultivated, and, and now, like, this is how you do it. This is what I want, and, and you're walking with the Lord in the cool of the day, and now what I want you to do is expand the boundaries, you know, take this over the whole earth. And, and when the fall happened, then that just trashed it all, and, and, and the Lord is, is now uh, not giving up on His plan, and He promised the seed to come through, through Christ, and... and what we're doing now is is creating cultivators, you know? So think of discipleship in that in that same way. Kingdom workers, people that are that are that are now working in the Lord's vineyard. Um, it's very different today. We're not cultivating the earthly kingdom. We're cultivating the spiritual kingdom. The earthly kingdom is is coming, but but if we have to expand the boundaries of the garden, the reign of of God over, the, over hearts through the, through the gospel, we, we multiply workers for this task, and that, that that's discipleship, multiplying these these workers, so it's just not optional. all are called to to disciple and hopefully that that in in one sense kind of r- lowers, the, lowers the, the the temperature of angst in your heart of thinking, well I can't disciple somebody know. Who am I you know. we're not talking about you mastering a nine-week discipleship course and then being able to give that to others. We're talking about you being a compel a compelling follower of Christ. Your life is compelling. Did I have anything whenever I first came to Christ to compel people? I didn't have knowledge. My church called it, well, he's on fire for the Lord. You know, What does that mean? I got saved, you know? and I knew it. And I didn't care who, who I didn't know anything. But can I tell you about Jesus? Well, what about him? Well, I don't know a lot about him, but I know he can change your life. He can forgive your sins. He can change you. I mean, well, what's compelling about that? It's not this, this you know, plethora of knowledge. It, it, it was, I was compelled by, by the gospel because the gospel transformed me. Are you compelled by, by Christ? And when you get up in the morning, is he compelling to you? It, compelling meaning is, it, does he... Do you have a a day that you're launching in and that you know, the wake of, of, of being drawn into Christ is is drawing others into that. There's a gravity about you. I don't have to be you know emotionally jacked up about it, but but there's substance there. Like I'm compelled, I'm a follower. I want to follow him today and that's what you're doing, and then other people are just being, being compelled by that, by, by that transformation that, that's happening, making and maturing disciples. So, we talked last time about, Clay did, about four reasons why Christians struggle to help people grow in, in discipleship there's ignorance, there's selfishness, reticence, there's indifference, and then there's just you know, disobedience. For me, I would think it was just nobody ever taught me what I just told you. It was happening. I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. I didn't know how to pray. So on Sunday nights, all the men would get together at one part of the church and, and pray, usually up front. And the women stayed in the pews. There wasn't any mandate to do that, just traditions of how it how it began. and And so... I'm a guy, I'm not going to sit back here with the women. I'm going to go up there with the guys so, kind of standing up there and they take prayer requests and and the pastor would say, "Okay, let's 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 all pray and he'd say something like each of you can lead out in your own way," which meant break up somewhere in the church up front here and pray. And so that's what they did. So I just did what what I saw all the other men doing. The women were sitting in the pews. They started praying and and so what I did was I, I mean, sometimes it was just whoever I was beside because I'm standing up there. But there were other times I was intentional, like, like okay, who do I want to go kneel beside? That guy, that guy's pretty compelling. He, he's different. I want to learn something you know, from him. So I, I'd get down beside him and I'd pray. Jesus was really short. What do I say? You know, talk to the Lord. But then I would just listen. This guy's talking, not A show. He's just praying, low, out loud, but just you know, like a whisper. I'd listen, listen to how he talked to the Lord. Wow, he's talking to God like he knows Him. What he said, prayed for whoever, prayed for somebody that was lost that he witnessed to, prayed for his you know for his family, prayed for his own for his own struggles, and I'm learning how to do that. Learning. From him. And so discipleship relationships often begin and flourish. I'm on page eight now, in a variety of circumstances. But all effective discipleship is undergirded by four essential elements. So it helps to have some hooks to hang this concept of discipleship on. It's it's you're a follower of Christ and and as a follower of Christ, you're 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 caught up in him. You're compelled by by the gospel, by him, by the Word, and, and you're pursuing that and then you're bringing others along in that in that, in that pursuit an effective discipleship. I want to bring as many people along as possible, which obviously means I want them to come to Jesus, but then beyond that I, I want to, I want to see them grow because I want him to get glory out of out of, out of their life so what are these four essential elements? What will you see, no matter what it looks like in all these different circumstances that, that make up effective discipleship? Well, well, first of all, you'll, you'll see imitation. Effective discipleship really involves imitation, and which means influencing others by the way you live and by the proactive teaching of truth. Now, notice there are two components there. Imitation is influencing others by the way you live and by proactive teaching the truth. So by the way you live, and that's not just passive, but there's a passive element to that. Your life, like why did I want to get next to some men that were praying versus others because of the way they lived? I could tell there was something different about them. I I, I want what they have. So I'm influencing others. Imitation by the by the way you live, but then there's the proactive part. I remember seeing t-shirts. I may even had one whenever I didn't understand certain things. And was it St. Francis of Assisi that, that said uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary? Is that who it was? That's a well-intentioned statement, I'm sure. But that's not a biblical statement. Okay. How do you preach the gospel? Preaching the gospel means that you're speaking words. That, that what, that's what it means. You're proclaiming. I think what the intention there is, I can't get in his mind, is that you need a credible life to, to, to put your words on. like Live a, a compelling life but then speak. It's, it, but that's not the main way the gospel is, 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 is proclaimed. The main way the gospel is proclaimed is by proclaiming the gospel, by, by preaching, by speaking, by, by opening your mouth. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Now, if people are hearing the gospel from you and you're living like the devil, shut your mouth. Stop living like the devil, but then have a compelling life and then speak. That, that, That's there. I mean, that's the whole point. And so here you have that as well. You're you're influencing others by the way you live. Not a perfect life. Far from perfect. I stood on the front stoop of our church on a Sunday night. I always got there about a half hour before, and everybody kind of hung around. And I'd been saved for three three months, six months. I don't know. It was there. It was in the first year or so. I'm standing out there with all the guys and there's about five of us standing out there and we're looking out the road and you know, beautiful night and everybody's talking and I looked over to the guy next to me and I said, I looked at his hair and I said, you need a, you need a haircut. Except I in, inserted a word before, before haircut that I, starts with a D that I won't repeat right now. And immediately when I did it, where in the world did that come from? Well, it came from my old life. And I remember him going, you know, it was like standing on the church pew or front porch and the guy slings a cuss word. I mean, what's going on? And I immediately was like, man, I'm so sorry. I don't even know where that came from. It just, it just, it just came out. There's stuff that can be there. I'm not talking about perfect, but but You repent comes out, I can remember witnessing to a friend on the phone, and I hadn't talked to him for probably, you know, a year or so after coming to Christ. I mean, these were the, the buds, I mean, we, we, we hung together, and I can remember being on the phone with him, and, and just catching up, and getting caught up in the old feelings, and the old buddies, and, and, uh, and I, I said something that it was off it was color, and he stopped me. Man, I thought you got saved. This is an unsaved guy. I was like, ugh, you know. I was just, I didn't know what to say. Just kind of melted and crumbled. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did, but I don't remember what I said. Moved on. Got off the phone, and oh, man, conviction said it. It was like, you called this guy a witness to him, and then he's calling you out. Called him back. I only got a hold of him, just begged his forgiveness, and just was honest with him. I don't know where it came from. Maybe he got caught up in the old feelings, but, but he's like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. But I mean, I just... My point to that is, I'm not talking about perfection. But I'm not talking about covering your sin either. I'm talking about as you're walking and following Christ, What's compelling? What's compelling is not perfection because other people aren't perfect. Christ is perfect. What's compelling is is you're moving in that direction and when you sin, you acknowledge it. That's compelling. You confess. Thankfully, uh, it's been 25 years or so since I've told anybody that they needed a haircut like that. Um, There's growth that happens, praise God. What's compelling to an unbelieving world? Somebody who's honest about their sin. Somebody who goes back and asks for forgiveness, and they mean it. That's compelling, isn't it? You see, it's not the perfection there; it's the, it's the direction. And so you're influencing others by the way you live. But then you're also proactively teaching the truth. Like you want to share the truth with it. Say, so, well, I don't want to know the truth. Well, you go back to the first lesson, which is you got to know the truth. <laughs> You kind of know the truth to grow in your own life. You're not getting the truth so you can just give it to somebody else. You're getting the truth because you want it and you want to be transformed by the truth and then you just transform others by the truth that you've, that you've brought in. And as you're learning that truth yourself, it's transforming the way that you live. And the way that you live then is, is compelling. It, it's synergistic. It goes together. Imitation. Discipleship is imitation. Influencing others by the way You live. And then by the proactive teaching of truth. Again, we're not talking about passive. Well, I'm just following Jesus. If somebody wants to follow me, they they can follow me. That's not discipleship. I'm following Jesus. And I'm stepping on myself at times, but I'm I'm following Jesus. And and you should follow Jesus too. I'm already following Jesus. Well, great. Let's follow Jesus together. This is what I've learned. and Where do you learn it? This is what I've learned. And maybe it's, it's not even the Barnabas idea. It's a Paul Timothy. You're not Paul, but in the relationship, you're, you're, you're a few steps ahead. It's proactively teaching the truth. Well, I don't have all the truth, so you know what I'm doing? I'm parroting the truth that I learned. I'm, I'm sharing what I learned. I'm sharing what I learned on Sunday. What my pastor taught me. What I learned in Sunday school. What I, what I learned from, from somebody else. Don't get this idea... That, you know, originality is, is, is somehow the, you know, the great transformer of all things. Like, that's my goal, to be original. You're not original. You never will be original. There's nothing original about you. Yeah, you're unique and, you're, you know, you've got a unique fingerprints and all those things. But everything that you learned in life, you learned by aping someone else. You learned by, by following someone else. You're a parrot. You're not... An innovator, original—you've got the dream that everybody's going to get caught up in. That's about you. That's not biblical Christianity. You're learning what what God has already fixed in heaven, and you're putting that in your li- putting that into practice in in your life. I mean, think about it. think about the world. You look at the world. Where does all the fashion come from? Somebody mimicking somebody else. Well, well, that was unique and original. No, they saw it somewhere else, and it's just unique and original here. Unique and, and, and original? You look at how you, you learn business. You learn a, to be an electrician. You learn to be whatever. You're an apprentice. You, somebody else knows how to do it, and you get alongside them, and then you learn how to do it, and then you start doing it. And as you start doing it, guess what? You get good at it, and then somebody else will come along and learn how to do electrical work. Well, we're not talking about electrical work. We're talking about following Christ. That's how God's designed it. People that are walking, compelled by the gospel, they're committed, they're in, they're pursuing Jesus, and they bring other people along with that. Imitation doesn't mean, what does imitation mean? Well, it doesn't mean following a man as if he has an inherent authority in and of himself. The word imitators, imitator means to mimic. It's from the Greek word, you know, mimetes. You can hear where we get our word mimic. We're imitating somebody, um, we're following not them. Um, I think I beat that horse enough, but you're... I mean, what's compelling about somebody's life is not their angle on anything. Um, it's Christ transforming them. It, doesn't, uh, it does not mean imitating the teaching and living that aligns with Christ. That's what it means. You want to imitate the teaching and the living in their life that aligns with with Christ. And then, of course, that requires you to have a credible life. Notice I said credible life. It doesn't mean a perfect life. It means a credible life. What's a credible life? A life that's honest, a life that acknowledges when they sin, a life that, that is growing, a life that's sinning less and, and having more and more victory and, and doing that. Credible life as a disciple is living a holy and compelling life worth following. The discipler is in the war against sin and gaining victory, and this allows him to mentor others while having credibility. And again, if the word mentor scares you, just just re, repackage it. This idea. I'm following Christ and I'm compelled by Christ and I'm pursuing him and I'm bringing others along in that that process. Look at number two here. You can never take them further or deeper than you are willing to live, than what you are willing to live. You can never take them further or deeper than what you're willing to live. And this is my statement. You can teach above what you're living. I can stand in the pulpit and tell you what the Bible says and what you're supposed to do. I could teach above what I'm living. It won't be compelling for long. I'll be flushed out at some point. You're never more exposed than standing in front of people on a regular basis saying this is the truth because you're living it. People are going to go, Oh, he teaches me stuff, but he doesn't live it himself. That, 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 they're not going to listen long. But you can teach above what you're living. But you can't disciple above what you're living. You, you can't do this. Because, because the gravity of your life is, is you being compelled by Christ, you pursuing Christ, you being, being drawn into Him. So You can't take Him further or deeper than what you are willing to live. So how are you living? Are you willing to go on the journey following Christ? Are you doing that? Shuffling along would be the opposite. Maybe you're on the path, going down the road, kicking rocks, complaining about murmuring, grumbling, what's going on. But you're on the path. I mean, you're a believer. Maybe you're on the path and, you know, you're... Man, you're just enamored by all these other things but you're, you know, you're still kind of walking you're still walking along I mean there that's where I'm going I'm not there yet Paul said but I see it I see the finish line I see Christ and I'm pursuing the high calling and when there are voices over here and I'm looking at I, no, I'm back here that's where I'm going. Whatever is behind me is gone. Can't even do anything about that. Can't do anything about the sins that I did. Can't do anything about, you know, yesterday on the path, I, I wasn't paying attention to where I was walking. I stepped in a, in a mud puddle, got my shoes dirty. I fell, I whatever. I mean, I can't do anything about that, but I'm back up, and I'm, this is where I'm going. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm focused there. And I'm bringing others along bring others along with me, you can't take them deeper or further than, than what, what you're willing to live. And the disciple is, is not giving way in this imitation to temptations, to be threatened, lazy, fearful, or hesitant, but he's willing to step out in faith and latch on to his disciple as a model of godly living. So there's another aspect to it, too. The world says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't what? You can't drink. So there's another aspect of, of, of imitating. I can imitate Christ, be compelled by Christ. I can keep bringing my eyes back to the target. I, I can have a compelling life. I can be intentional about sharing truth with, with others, but, but it takes someone else who's also on the path. So you may be in evangelism with somebody; they think they're on the path, but you, you figure out oh, I'm actually evangelizing this guy. He says he's a believer, but, but he's not really on the path. Or somebody who's on the path, but but they're they're really far back, and they they need they need to be encouraged. They're faint-hearted. They're they're whatever it it, it might be. So so don't be discouraged. You're on the path and you're compelled and you, and you want to do this. And there are people that they start on the path with you that fall off the path. And after a while of pursuing them, you figure out they really don't want to be on the path because they're not on the path. What puts them on the path? Regeneration. The work of the Spirit. Their, their eyes are open. If your eyes are open to who Jesus Christ is, if your eyes are open to your sin if there has been this spiritual work of, 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 of eye-opening, if, if thine eye has diffused the quickening ray, if the dungeon, you realize, oh, I'm in a dungeon, I'm in sin, and light has come into that, and, and you've found the way out. If that hasn't happened, they're not going to be compelled by Christ. You just keep bringing it back to the gospel. That, that, that's the tool. That's the, the tool. To open their eyes, less the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine in their hearts. That's creation language. Just like light shined out of darkness in Genesis 1, there's light that has to shine in the darkness of your heart. And it's God who spoke that into creation. His, his word created, and his word, the gospel, is what creates his people now. It created the world in the beginning, and now it's creating New people. That's the power of the gospel. It's what Paul's not ashamed of. i Not ashamed. It's not going to put me to shame. The gospel's not going to put me to shame. Is it going to save everybody? No. How many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and you drop the bomb on them and like, eh, I'm in the other direction? No. You don't know what God will do with that later. You don't know whether you're one of the guys that lays an axe to the tree with the gospel. But you're not the guy who's going to harvest the fruit maybe you're the first whack or the or the hundredth. you don't know how many how many times it's going to happen have to happen somebody share with them before, before the tree falls over but the gospel is the power and has the ability to do that and when that happens you're on the path I'm fumbling I'm stumbling um, let words slip out but but I'm on the path and if you're on the path you want Somebody that's walking on the path that's a little farther ahead of you to help you and bring you along. And so they're going to latch on to you. But who are they going to latch onto? They're going to imitate people who have a compelling life and who know a little bit more than them. And guess what? There's somebody who has a compelling life and knows a little bit more than that person that, that, that they're following. And that's what discipleship looks like. But it begins with, with imitation Influence other, influencing others by the way you live and proactive teaching the, the truth. That's what imitation means, and that requires a, a credible life. And look at C. Essentially, this means helping people become more like Christ and less like the world. It's really that simple. More like Christ. More like Christ. And less like the world. That's under the sway of the evil one. The cosmos is system. System of thinking. System of living. System of values. I'm reoriented. My compass is recalibrated, helping people become more like Christ. So here's what I want you to think about as I uh, turn you loose. What are some ways that you have imitated others and learned? You're sitting here talking. Can you think of somebody that your Christian life, mean I was studying this, people's faces immediately started coming to mind. Like, yeah, that's, that's who that guy was in my life. That's who that guy was in my life. And then I can also think of others that that I've, I've done that for. There was, you know, really, you don't know how you're impacting somebody if you're just being faithful. Tracy and I still get a card or a letter every single year, sometimes more than once, from a couple that we discipled. I don't know that we really knew that's what we were doing. When we first came to Timberlake 18 years ago. He's a youth pastor, associate pastor now at a big church somewhere down south. And he sends me a handwritten letter. Brother, just prayed for you today. Still, again, just can't tell you how, how, how much I appreciate the time you gave me and how impacting it was in, in my life. And just changed the way I looked at the Bible and ministry and church. And, and, and I'm here today. I, I've told other people that. Jim Fierkson was my Greek professor. I'm now the pastor of my Greek professor. It's intimidating. But I remember that brother, whenever he came here, he was talking about, you know, saying things about how he was growing. Or I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm here because of you. Like, you taught me how to study my Bible. You taught me how to, how to understand the Word. You're the first person. In, in, the, in Ephesians, you probably don't remember this, but I remember exegesis class in Ephesians chapter 1 when I was wrestling with sovereignty, the sovereignty of God and responsibility and all these kinds of things, and you had us exegete Ephesians chapter 1. We, we had to exegete the whole book, translate the whole book, but chapter 1 is where the Lord opened my eyes to the doctrines of grace. It's like, how can I argue with that? right There it is. I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, that, that was under your teaching. You're the one that taught me how You laid the foundation for expository preaching. And there are people like that in your life. Who are those people? If you don't have somebody like that, you can't go back to people, or you don't have people that are doing that for you, I would say, ask yourself the question, am I living a compelling life? Because people that are compelled by the gospel just naturally have others coming to them. And people who don't, have a compelling life, probably don't. So, wow, I don't know that I do. So then ask yourself another question. Am I compelled by the gospel? Am I compelled by Jesus Christ? Or is there something else that I'm more compelled by? I stayed up. It's the first time I've stayed up and watched the end of a football game. I'm, I'm normally like in bed. Like, yeah, I'm watching it. I'm intending to watch it at nine o'clock, nine fifteen. I'm like, I'm done. I'm gonna DVR this thing and fast forward. You know, I watched the whole thing. That was a you know thrilling game. What you know, whatever. But there's no comparison. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know a word to describe the chasm between that and Jesus. Like, give me Jesus. Give me His Word. Give me songs about Him. Give me time alone with Him. Give me private prayer with Him. Are you compelled by Jesus? Because if you are, you're going to live a compelling life. That's different, that's not like the world. And if you're compelled by him and you're living a compelling life, then other people are gone that are also compelled by him that are maybe farther along are going, hey that guy right there. I mean I'm watching him, he He's got his eyes on the target. That's where I'm going too. He looks like he knows how to do it a little bit better than me. <laughs> and I'm going to follow him. And if not, ask the Lord. Lord, why why are you not more compelling to me? Is there some sin in my life? Is there an idol there? Is there something there? Do I just need to learn? And and if you can't figure it out or you struggle, then find that guy that, that seems to not struggle with that, that is compelled with Christ and say, hey, can I go to breakfast with you after Grace and Granite next week? Yeah, Mark. Yeah. That to God. So he said, I just not to do that. I just was faithful to bring you the word of God and help you watch God change you from the inside out. Yeah. So I, I, I that same in people they the change. Mm. They to their labor right away if they want something done. will be in Sure. I always remember, I mean, what do I know that's not spiritually discerned, meaning a, a gift from, from God? Of course, there's labor involved in that, but ultimately it's the Lord, nothing. It's all spiritually discerned. So, I mean, it's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. So, that's what I'm trusting the Lord to do in their life as well. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for today, your word and truth. Father, help us to be compelled by Jesus Christ and his glory and that that would pull us along even as we walk today with all the pits and the traps. If we fall in one, may we freely confess and restore our fellowship with with, with you and cleanse our conscience, but but then show others that's what you do. Thank you for these brothers that are here this morning. Dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.